ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so continuing with بلوغ المرام كتاب الصلاه the chapter of the prayer. Last time we discussed the beginning of the chapter of Babul Mawaqit, the chapter of the, the timings. Like we said, the Mawaqit, the timings or the geographical locations, it can be two types. Mawaqit can either be geographical locations, for example, when a person is making Hajj and Umrah, there are geographical locations whereby he must be in that state of ihram before passing by them. And also there can be zonal locations or time periods. And that's what we are speaking about here now in this chapter, the times of the prayers. The times for the prayers, when the starting times are, when the ending times are, and when that prayer can be correctly performed within. The first hadith that we covered last time, عن عبد الله بن عمر رضي الله عنهما أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم قال وقت الظهر إذا زالت الشمس وكان ظل الرجل كطوله ما لم يحضر العصر that the time for ظهر is after the meridian after the sun it goes beyond the peak of the day when the sun starts to go downwards وكان ظل الرجل كطوله and it continues up until the shadow of a man is equal to his length. I.e. the shadow of an object is the same as the size of the object itself. The length of the object itself. As long as Asr doesn't come in. That's when Asr begins after that. Once the shadow is equal to the object, after that time now, Asr has started. And Asr it continues as long as the sun doesn't become the hazy yellow, the hazy and the yellowness, <coughs> the haziness and the yellowness of the sun doesn't appear, then Asr continues up until that time. And the time for Maghrib is from the sunset up until the Shafaq, the redness of the horizon, the lights. The final rays of the sun, which are still apparent, as long as they haven't disappeared, then Maghrib continues. Once they disappear, then Isha'it begins. And that continues up until the middle of the night. And the time for the Fajr is from the Tulu'il Fajr, the, when the Fajr appears, when the dawn break appears. But like we said, there are two dawn breaks. In the morning, firstly you have the break of the dawn when some light appears. But this light appears in a very upward fashion, in a column-like fashion. And after a while that light it disappears. Then, later the light appears again, but this time across the horizon. The second time when that light appears across the horizon, that's when... Uh, this Fajr, uh, that's what the meaning of this Fajr is. And that's when the time starts and it continues up until as long as the sun hasn't arisen. 
That was the first hadith that we spoke about, and we spoke about the explanation of it and the timings. The second hadith that we also mentioned last time, عن أبي برزة الأسلامي رضي الله عنه قال كان رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم يصلي العصر The Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم used to pray العصر ثم يرجع أحدنا إلى رحله في أقصى المدينة والشمس حية Then one of us we used to return to the opposite side of Medina, to the other end of Medina. And even then, when we would get there, the sun was still alive. Meaning it was still bright and it was still alive. It wasn't about to set. وَكَانَ يَسْتَحِبُّ Meaning therefore that Asr was prayed at the beginning of its time. وَكَانَ يَسْتَحِبُّ when يُؤَخِّرَ مِنَ الْعِشَاءِ And he used to like to delay the Isha prayer. وَكَانَ يَكْرَهُ النَّوْمَ قَبْلَهَا And he used to dislike to sleep before it. وَالْحَدِيثَ بَعْدَهَا or to have conversation and speech after it. Uh, and like you mentioned, if that conversation and speech was of benefit, knowledge, etc., then it's permissible. And he used to leave from the Fajr prayer when an individual could recognize uh, the person next to him. And he used to recite from between 60 to 100 ayahs in that Fajr prayer. And that hadith is muttafaqun alayhi in Sahih al-Bukhari and Sahih muslim That's why we left off and the explanation of that was done in the previous lesson. The new hadith now, the hadith of Jabir radiallahu anhu. وَالْعِشَاءُ أَحْيَانًا يُقَدِّمُهَا وَأَحْيَانًا يُؤَخِّرُهَا إِذَا رَآهُمْ اجْتَمَعُوا عَجَّلْ وَإِذَا رَآهُمْ أَبْطَأُوا أَخَّرْ وَالصُّبْحُ كَانَ النَّبِي صَلَّى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ يُصَلِّيهَا بِغَلَسٍ In this hadith then, the hadith of Jabir, رضي الله عنه, he says, that the Isha prayer, sometimes the Prophet used to bring it forward, pray it at the beginning of its time, and sometimes he would delay it. If the Prophet saw that the people have gathered. They've all come together. They've gathered. Everyone's there. Then in that case, he would pray it early, in the beginning time. وَإِذَا رَآهُمْ أَبْطَأُوا And if he saw that the people are taking their time getting together for the prayer to congregate, then in that case, he would delay it. قَدْ سَبَقَ فِي أَصْلِ الْحَدِيثَ أَنَّهُ يَسْتَحِبُّ عَلَيْهِ صَلَاةُ وَالسَّلَامَ يُؤَخِّرَ مِنَ الْعِشَاءِ We already mentioned that the Prophet ﷺ used to like to delay the Isha prayer. We already mentioned that before, that the Prophet ﷺ used to like to delay the Isha prayer. وَلَكِنَّهُ لَا يُحِبُّ أَنْ يَشُقَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّتِهِ But at the same time, the Prophet ﷺ did not love, did not like to be burdensome upon his people. It was not something that was beloved to the Prophet ﷺ to place a burden upon the people. So even though, he, sallallahu alayhi wasallam, used to like to delay Isha, it wouldn't be at the expense of placing a great burden upon the people to do that. And that will become clear here now. So if, when the time of Isha began, the Prophet saw that the people, in the early time at the beginning, they've all gathered in the masjid, everyone's there. They've all gathered quickly. Then in that case, he would come and he would pray with them. Let them pray in the early time. They've all gathered anyway. They've all come. But if he saw that the people, or rather this was, this was 
who have that kindness and generosity to the believers and to those people who were behind him praying. Because in this instance, you have two things. You have the preference to delay the Isha prayer. It's a preference. The Prophet ﷺ preferred to delay the Isha prayer. That's one side. The preference to delay the Isha prayer. On the other side, the kindness and the goodness and the generosity to the people to not put a burden upon them. To have to make them wait and wait and wait even though they've all gathered and they're all ready. That's on the other side. So which of the two would the Prophet ﷺ give precedence? If those two came together, the Prophet ﷺ preferred to delay Isha. But if he saw the people have all gathered, then he would give that precedence. He wouldn't say, or he wouldn't delay the prayer and make it a burden upon them, even though they've already gathered. He wouldn't make them sit there and wait and wait and wait, and make it a burden upon them that it becomes late, and some of them become extremely tired. Then he wouldn't do that. In that case, he would give precedence to praying it and removing the burden over and above his own preference or the preference of uh, generally to delay the Isha prayer. But if the time of Isha came and the Prophet saw that the people are taking their time getting together, they're attending slowly, they're coming in slowly. They're not all gathered yet. They are taking their time getting together to congregate for the Isha prayer. Then in that instance, the Prophet ﷺ would delay the prayer. The fact that the people are delayed anyway, they are taking their time anyway to come together, then in that case, the Prophet ﷺ would delay the Isha prayer until they do all come and gather. وَقَدْ كَانَ يُحِبُّ ذَلِكَ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَامُ And that's what the Prophet ﷺ used to love to do. فَيَكُونُ ذَلِكَ مُوَافِقًا لِرَغْبَتِهِ And in that instance, that would be in conformity to his own preference too. Because the preference was to delay the Isha prayer. So if the people were late in coming together and congregating, then that was the reason to delay the Isha prayer. In that case, the Prophet ﷺ would delay it then. And that was in conformity to what he preferred to do anyway. فَدَلَّ هَذَا عَلَىٰ أَنَّ الْإِمَامِ يُرَاعِي أَحْوَالَ الْمَأْمُومِينَ فِي صَلَاةِ الْعَشَاءِ وَفِي غَيْرِهَا This therefore indicates that the imam should look after the congregation. The imam should look after the affairs and the state of the congregation. Not that an imam, he comes and he says that the Isha prayer, it can be prayed at the beginning time of 9.30 or 10 o'clock. And even though everybody is here and they are gathered, and you can see the tiredness on their faces, and you can see that they are falling asleep, you say, no, we're going to delay it till 11 o'clock. Everybody sit there and wait. And that is a burden upon the people. But rather the imam, he is supposed to look after the congregation. He's supposed to look after the congregation and not put this burden upon them. Whether that's in the Isha prayer or the other prayers. Even in the other prayers. An imam shouldn't, for example, lead one of the other prayers and make it extremely long. To the extent that it becomes a burden upon the people behind him. So an imam should be balanced in his approach when he is the imam of a particular masjid and looking after his congregation. If the Prophet ﷺ therefore, like we said, saw that they have all gathered anyway, they've come together now, they're all congregated, in that case he wouldn't, in a way you could say, imprison them and say to them, no. 
sit and wait an hour, two hours, three hours until we pray. Then they're stuck. They have to sit and wait for the Isha prayer whenever the Imam decides to pray. The Prophet wouldn't do that. He wouldn't put that burden upon them. Rather, in that instance, if he saw that they've all gathered, he would pray the Isha prayer at the early time. Pray it and allow them to go and leave then, rather than making them wait and put the burden upon them. It's possible, the Shaykh says, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah. Maybe some of that congregation, they have needs. They have issues to get back to. They have things they need to do. They have other things that are busying them. They might have certain affairs that they need to get to. And maybe some of them are not able to burden, having to wait a lengthy period of time. Some of them may not be able to burden that. They can't handle that. They have other things they need to get to and other things they need to do. And it's possible some of them, sleep may be overcoming them too. Remember we're talking about the Isha prayer. If you were to delay it and delay it up until the third of the night, for example, then for some people the sleep would overcome them. So if you see this from the congregation or you recognize that this is the state of the congregation, then you don't do that. Some of them may need to go for other reasons. If you make, make them wait for a lengthy time, then other factors start coming into it. Maybe even something as you might think trivial as having to go to the toilet. Make the people wait for a long time, and then even that might become a factor for some of them. And other reasons and other factors and other situations may arise. So that is a burden upon the people. So if the Prophet ﷺ came out at the time of Isha and saw that the people have already congregated and they've gathered, then in that instance he would not put a burden on them, he would pray and allow them to leave. But if he saw that they were being late and they were slowly coming in, then he would delay it and pray it at a later time, which was his preference, sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Then after that, وَالصُبْحُ كَانَ يُصَلِّيهَا بِغَلَسْ The Fajr prayer, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray it in darkness. غَلَسْ is darkness with a bit of light mixed into it. المُرَادُ بِهِ الظُّلْمَ إِذَا اخْتَلَطَ مَعَهَا ضَوْءُ النَّهَارِ In the morning, at that time of Fajr, you see the darkness of the night still present. The darkness of the night is there. But at the same time, when it gets to the time of Fajr, you start to see whiteness appearing. You start to see light appearing. So at that time, when it was still dark, but there were signs of lightness appearing now, that's when the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Fajr prayer. So when is that time? When is it when the darkness starts to slightly get mixed in with light coming out now? That is at the beginning of the time of Fajr. Like we said, there are two fajrs, two day, do, uh, day breaks, two dawn breaks. The first where it comes out in a qadam, that's the false daybreak. That then disappears. Then it comes out again across the horizon. When it comes out across the horizon, that's when you'll see the light now mixing in with the darkness. As soon as that occurred, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray. Ma'nahu, the Shaykh says, the meaning of this is, أَنَّهُ كَانَ يُبَادِرُ بِصَلَاةِ الْفَجْرِ عِنْدَ دَخُولِ وَقْتِهَا That the Prophet ﷺ used to hasten to pray the Fajr prayer as soon as the time entered, at the beginning. كَمَا يُفِيدُ قَوْلُهُ فِي أَصْلِ الْحَدِيثِ Just like the original hadith indicated, يَنْفَتِلُ مِنْهَا حِينَ يَعْرِفُ الرَّجُلُ جَلِيسَ فَدَلَّ عَلَى أَنَّهُ يَدْخُلُ فِيهَا وَرَجُلُ لَا يَعْرِفُ جَلِيسَهُ مِنَ الظَّلْمَةِ In the first hadith we mentioned, that the Prophet ﷺ used to leave from the Fajr prayer, 
the Fajr prayer used to finish and they used to leave when people could actually start to recognize each other. So that means a lot of light had started to come out now. Enough for you to be able to recognize each other without any lights and without any other form of light. Remember like we said in those times, there was no electricity or anything of that nature. So they would pray in the darkness. But when the Prophet ﷺ would finish the Fajr prayer and leave, at that time, people would be able to recognize each other because of the light now appearing. But that's when the prayer used to finish. The hadith says, when it used to finish, they could recognize each other. But what about when it used to start then? Then they could obviously not recognize each other. When they would go to the Fajr prayer from the darkness, they wouldn't be able to recognize each other at the beginning. But then the Prophet would pray and elongate the prayer, 60 to 100 ayat. And when he would finish, by then the light had started to appear that they could now recognize each other. So that indicates that the Prophet used to pray the prayer at the beginning time. Because if he'd have prayed it at the end time, then even when the people walked in, they would have been able to recognize each other. Because it's at the end time of Fajr, the light is appearing everywhere. But the fact that they couldn't recognize each other when they used to walk in, indicates that the Prophet used to pray at the beginning time, when the light had just started to appear on the horizon, but you couldn't see each other yet or recognize each other. So that's what the hadith indicates, that the Prophet used to love to pray the Fajr. And this is the uh, uh, practice of the Prophet ﷺ, to pray the Fajr at the beginning time. هذا واضح. The Shaykh says this is clear. في بيان وقت دخول النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم في صلاة الفجر. In explaining the time the Prophet ﷺ used to enter for the Fajr prayer. وأنه كان يبكر بها. And that he used to do that early. والناس لا يعرف بعضهم بعضا من الظلمة. And the people didn't used to know each other from the darkness. لأنهم كما علمتم فإن مسجد الرسول سلم لم يكن فيه أنوار because like the sheikh says you know now that the mosque never used to have lights in it at that time ولم يكن مضاء and it wasn't bright and light everywhere inside it فقد كانوا يسلون في ظلام الليل فقد كانوا يسلون في ظلام الليل so they used to pray in the darkness darkness of the night فهذا الحديث دل بروايته على مسائل عظيمة so now the sheikh is going to summarize what we've just done in the last couple of hadith. So now take note and concentrate on the summary of the points of benefit from these hadith. Firstly, فِيهِ حِرْسُ الصَّحَابَةِ رَضِيَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ عَلَى حُضُورِ الصَّلَاةِ مَعَ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم حَيْثُ إِنَّ أَحَدَهُمْ كَانَ يَأْتِي لِصَلَاةِ الْعَصْرِ مِنْ أَقْصَى الْمَدِينَةِ وَإِذَا انْصَرَفَ لَا يُصَلِّي أو لَا يَصِلُ إِلَى رَحْلِهِ إِلَّا فِي آخر وقت صلاة العصر من بعد المسافة. Firstly, it indicates the zeal and the enthusiasm of the companions and their desire to pray in congregation with the Prophet ﷺ. That they used to travel long distances to get to the congregation with the Prophet ﷺ. As indicated by that hadith, that we used to finish the Asa prayer and then go to the other end of Medina to get to our homes. So they used to come from far distances to pray in the congregation with the Prophet ﷺ as their imam. That indicates the, the zeal and the enthusiasm and the desire of the companions to achieve that goodness and to achieve that reward. That is something that is an encouragement to everyone else to practice as the companions used to practice. Also one of the issues that was mentioned was the virtues of Salatul Asr and to pray it in the early time. The virtues of Salatul Asr. Those narrations that we mentioned about the angels, 
the angels of the night and the angels of the day swapping over at that time. So both sets of angels attend the Salat al-Asr with that person. So when the angels of the day, they leave, then it is said to them, how have you left my slave? They say, we left him praying. So there is virtues of Salat al-Asr. Also, فيه فضيلة تأخير صلاة العشاء عن أول وقتها إلا أن ذلك مقيد بعدم المشقة على المأمومين Also, there is the virtue and the preference of delaying the Isha prayer to the later time, within the permissible time of course. But to delay it to the end of the permissible time, that is a virtue and a preference. If, or restricted with one restriction which is, without putting burden upon the people. If it's a burden upon the people, then no. Then the Prophet ﷺ did not used to do it. But without any burden, then the virtue and the preference is to delay it. Also, one of the benefits of these ahadith, دليل على أنه يجب على الإمام يراعي أحوال المأمومين بأن لا يشق عليهم. Also, like we just mentioned, that the Imam must look after his congregation. The Imam must look after his congregation. Not to burden them beyond what they are able to do. Or to become heavy upon them in the elongation of certain prayers beyond what the people can burden or it becomes a burden upon them. Or delaying the Isha prayer to an extent that it becomes a burden upon them. So the Imam, he looks after the congregation behind him. And in this, the example of it is like we said, the Prophet ﷺ, if he saw the people congregated, he would pray with them so he would allow them to go. But if they were not congregated, then in that case he would delay it. And in this is a principle. There is a principle within this action. فِيهِ أَنَّ دَرْءَ الْمَفَاسِدْ مُقَدَّمٌ عَلَى جَلْبِ الْمَصَالِحِ To remove the harms is given precedence over obtaining the good. If you have a choice, you can do something which is goodness and obtain that goodness. But at the same time, on the other hand, you could remove some harm. So which of the two do you do? You can only do one of them. I could either remove the harm, but I miss out on this goodness. Or I can do this goodness, but I end up allowing the harm to occur. So which of the two do you do in that instance? The principle is you remove the harm. Remove the harm. And that is given precedence over obtaining the goodness. Some of the people, they might be ignorant of this principle. They might say, نُحْيِ sunnah. They say we want to revive the sunnah. This is the sunnah the Prophet ﷺ used to love to delay the Isha prayer. So let's implement the sunnah and delay the Isha prayer. So let's pray it at 11 o'clock or 11.30. And they forget that the principle indicates you remove the harm firstly. That's the priority. That's the precedence. Before looking at the obtaining of this uh, benefit. So in that instance, if you did practice that principle, it would mean... That if there is burden upon the people, you need to remove that harm first. And if you remove that harm, it means you're going to miss out on delaying the Isha prayer. But okay, that's okay. The removal of the harm takes precedence over bringing that good. So in this instance, the Shaykh says, that is a principle to uh, remember. Because if a person did not remember that principle, and he forgot about this issue of removing these harms, and that taking precedence over obtaining the goods, then an individual may seek to obtain the good, which is the preference of praying the Isha prayer late, but then as a consequence, he allows the harm to occur, which is that the congregation are burdened, and difficulty falls upon them, and some people become tired, and some people, they miss out on certain affairs they needed to do. 
So the harm occurs as a consequence of him desiring to delay the Isha prayer in that instance, which is not correct. And the Shaykh mentions the other hadith also, لا ضرر ولا ضرارة, that there is no harm and there is no harming. So it is not for the believers to harm each other or to burden each other in that way. Also, from the benefits of the hadith, دليل على كراهة النوم قبل العشاء وكراهة الحديث بعد صلاة العشاء. As we mentioned, the disliking of sleeping before the Isha prayer and also speaking and conversing after the Isha prayer. لما في ذلك من الأضرار الدينية because of the harms, the religious harms in those two affairs. And we mentioned them before. A person who goes to sleep before Isha. Perhaps he becomes tired, he becomes lazy, and he misses Isha prayer. He goes to sleep after Maghrib, he doesn't wake up for Isha. That's one of the harms. Similarly, a person who speaks after the Isha prayer, he sits and he converses and he relaxes. That could lead to him not waking up to pray the last third of the night. Even worse than that, it could lead to him missing the Fajr prayer. So there are harms in these actions, and that's why the Prophet dislike that they should be done. Except if it is something of goodness, an individual sits after the Isha prayer to learn knowledge, in a circle of knowledge, for example, or other types of knowledge, revision, etc. Or like we said, the leader, he's discussing the affairs of his people. These types of issues are exceptions, but otherwise it is not something befitting to just relax and converse after the Isha prayer into the night, to the extent that you miss out on your worship in the morning. Also, في الحديث دليل على فضيلة تقديم صلاة الفجر في أول وقتها also, like we said, there is the virtue of bringing forward the Fajr prayer to the beginning of its time. And that is what the Prophet ﷺ used to do. To bring forward the Fajr prayer and pray it at the beginning of its time. Al-Mas'ala al-Thamina, the eighth benefit also the Shaykh mentions, في الحديث دليل على مشروعية تطويل القراءة في صلاة الفجر فإنه سأسلم كان يقرأ بستين إلى المئة مع ما عرف من قراءته سأسلم من الترتيل والتأني والوقوف على رؤوس الآيات دل على أنه يطيلها Also from the benefits is that it is from the sunnah to elongate, to make long the Fajr prayer, to recite lengthy in the Fajr prayer. Because as, as it's narrated, the Prophet ﷺ used to recite between 60 to 100 ayat in the Fajr prayer. 60 to 100 ayat. On top of the fact that it is known, the recitation of the Prophet ﷺ was slow and steady. It was a slow and steady recitation with the proper recitation of it. And the Prophet ﷺ used to stop at the ayat and start the new ayah. So it was a slow and steady type of recitation. On top of that, it was 60 to 100 ayahs. Therefore, indicating that the Fajr prayer must have been lengthy, therefore, to recite 60 or 100 ayat with slow and steady recitation. So that indicates that the Fajr prayer should be extended in the recitation and in the standing of it. They are the benefits from those narrations. The next hadith after that. وعن رافع ابن خديج رضي الله عنه قال كنا نصلي مع النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم المغرب فينصرف أحدنا وإنه لا يرى مواقع نبله متفق عليه. Prophet says that or rather the companion he says رضي الله عنه that we used to pray with the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم 
the Maghrib prayer. Then when we used to finish and leave, one of us could still see where the arrow lands. Does it give you something different there? Um, on this one, we, say that we used to observe the sunset prayer with Allah's Apostle. And um, one of us would uh, go away when it was still possible to see the distance of a bow shot. So, the mm. so they're saying in this hadith, the companion is saying that we would pray the Maghrib prayer. And after when we would leave, we would still be able to see where the, the arrow lands. You shoot an arrow, how far it goes and where it lands, they could still see where it lands. So what does this hadith mean then? What does it indicate? They used to pray Maghrib early, at the beginning time. To the extent that even after they left the prayer, they could shoot an arrow and they could still see where it lands. So it obviously wasn't dark yet. It wasn't so dark, because if it was so dark, you shoot the arrow, you wouldn't know where it lands. You get lost in the dark, where's it gone? But they would pray the Maghrib early, as soon as the time entered, to the extent that when they would leave, there was still enough light for them to be able to see where the arrow lands. So this indicates bringing the Maghrib prayer early to the beginning of its time. And the Shaykh says that the people they used to leave and they could still see where those arrows were landing. The Shaykh says it is known that when you fire an arrow from a bow, it's not going to land from here just to there or to there. It's going to go a long way. When you fire an arrow from a bow, it will go a long way. But despite the long distance it can go, they could still see where it lands. So that indicates they were praying Maghrib early at the beginning time. Indicates that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Maghrib prayer straight away as soon as the time came in. As soon as the time came in, he would pray it straight away. That they used to leave from the prayer and the rays of the sun after it sets. When the sun sets, it's gone. Sunset has happened. But still the rays of the sun are present on the horizon. That was still present. They would finish the Maghrib prayer and these final rays of the sun were still available or to be seen. Because uh, ظُلْمَةً because the more you delay the Maghrib prayer, obviously the darkness gets darker. And those rays of sun that are remaining fade away. And that is the opposite of Fajr, because the more you delay it, the greater the light becomes. So that hadith indicates, which is in Bukhari and Muslim, that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Maghrib prayer early at the beginning time. So now we know that the Prophet ﷺ used to pray Fajr, Early. Used to pray Asr? Early. Used to pray Maghrib? Early. At the beginning times. And as for Isha, he preferred to delay it, but only if it wasn't going to cause a burden. If it was going to cause a burden, then no. The next hadith, An Aisha radiallahu anha qalat, A'atama, aw a'atama Rasulullah sallam dhata laylatin bil Isha. حتى ذهب عامة الليل ثم خرج فصلى وقال إنه لوقتها لولا أنا شق على أمتي رواه مسلم. The wording says أعتما رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم ذات ليلة بالعشاء. The meaning of that is that on one night 
this is to do with the same topic. On one night, the Prophet ﷺ delayed the Isha prayer. So on one night it occurred. On this one particular time, the Prophet ﷺ delayed the Isha prayer. أَخَّرَ صَلَاةَ الْعِشَاءَ حَتَّى دَخَلَ فِي الْعَتَمَةِ وَهِيَ ثُلُثُ الْلَيْلِ الْأَوَّلِ He delayed it up until the third of the night. He delayed the Isha prayer on this one occasion up until the third of the night. لِأَنَّ الْعَتَمَةِ مَعَنَاهَا الظُّلْمَةِ Because الْعَتَمَةِ, this word which is used in the hadith, it indicates darkness. And that darkness, it appears at that later time in the third of the night, etc. ثُمَّ خَرَجَ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَسَلَّمَ فَصَلَّى Then at that time, later on, not at the beginning time of Isha, later in the third of the night, when the third of the night began, not the last third of the night, when the third of the night initially began, he went out and he prayed. And then he said, إِنَّهُ لَوَقْتُهَا he said that this is really the time for it. This is the preferred time for Isha. This is really the preferred time. That night when he delayed it and he came out at the third of the night, he said, really this is the proper time and the preferred time for it. وَقَدْ سَبَقَ لَنَا أَنَّ وَقْتَ الْعِشَاءِ يَبْدَأُ بِمَغِيبِ شَفَقَ الْأَحْمَرِ وَيَمْتَدُّ إِلَى نِسْفِ اللَّيْلِ أَوِ الْتُلَةِ اللَّيْلِ We already mentioned that the Isha prayer starts when the rays of sun on the horizon disappear. They've gone now, it's darkness. That's when Isha starts. And it carries on up until the third of the night or half of the night, depending on the opinion. The Prophet ﷺ, like we said, used to love to delay it. But he also used to look after the congregation so that he would not be a burden upon them. So what are the issues to be taken from this? أَنَّ الْغَالِبِ مِنْ فِعْلِهِ التَّبْكِيرِ بِصَلَاةِ That usually and normally, or rather we forgot to finish the hadith, he said that this is the time for it, the preferred time for it, if only it wasn't going to be a burden upon the people. So here now we understand that generally speaking, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray Isha at the beginning time. Generally speaking, normally, the Prophet ﷺ used to pray the Isha at the beginning time. لِأَنَّهَا يَعْنِ عَائِشَ رَضِيَ الْعَنْهَا إِنَّمَا ذَكَرَتْ أَنَّهُ عَتَمَ ذَاتَ لَيْلَ فَدَلَّ عَلَىٰ أَنَّهُ لَا يُدَاوِمْ عَلَىٰ تَأْخِيرٍ Because in this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha says, on that one night, on that one occasion, he delayed the prayer. Which indicates what? That normally, he didn't used to do that. But in this hadith, Aisha radiallahu anha says, on that one night, he delayed it. So the wording of the hadith indicates that this was out of the norm. This was out of the ordinary. That on this one occasion, the Prophet ﷺ did that. It wasn't something that he was consistently doing. Otherwise, what would be the point of saying that on one occasion he delayed it, if he always used to delay it? So this was something unusual. وَإِنَّمَا فَعَلَهُ مَرَّةً He did it once. وَإِنَّهُ أَحْيَانًا كَانَ يُؤَخِرًا Sometimes he did used to delay it. And there are other narrations mentioned when the Prophet ﷺ used to delay the prayer sometimes. تَخْفِئُ رُؤُوسَهُمْ How their heads used to uh, go down. Their heads used to be nodding from tiredness sometimes. So on this occasion he delayed it. فَيَجُوزُ إِذَا التَّأْخِيرِ إِذَا لَمْ يَتَرَتَّبْ عَلَيْهِ مَشَقَّةِ Therefore, like we said, it is permissible to delay the Isha prayer if there isn't going to be any burden. فَإِذَا كَانَ الْإِنسَانُ يُصَلِّي وَحْدَهُ بِسَبَبْ أَنَّهُ مَعْذُورَ عَنِ صَلَاةِ الْجَمَاعَةِ وَكَذَلِكَ النِّسَاءِ فِي الْبُيُوتَ الَّتِي لَا تَجِبُ عَلَيْهِنَّ الْجَمَاعَةِ أَوْ in the masjid, like we said, when the people were congregated at the beginning time, the Prophet would pray Isha and let them go. If they were late, he would delay it and allow them to gather and then pray later. 
That's in the masjid. You look after the congregation. The sheikh says, if a person, for some reason, isn't praying in the congregation, he can't go to the masjid, he has some legitimate Islamic reason, illness or whatever it might be, or injury or whatever the reason might be, for some reason, he's not able to go to the masjid and he can't pray in the congregation. For example, maybe he doesn't even have a masjid in his area for miles and miles away. Whatever the reason. For whatever reason, if a person is not going to go and pray in the congregation in the masjid, then for him, it's better to delay the prayer. If he's able, of course. If he's able to delay it, then it's better for him to delay it. If he's going to be praying at home for whatever reason, and not in the jama'ah for whatever reason, then at home it is better for him to delay it as long as he's able to do it until the third of the night. If he's going to get tired and sleepy and fall asleep, then okay, pray it and go to sleep. But if he's able to delay it, then it is better for him to delay it. That is the preferred thing to do with Isha. So if you're by yourself, the point being, what's the point? The point being, when you're by yourself at home, if you delay it, are you going to be putting a burden on the congregation? There is no congregation. So for you now, it's better. Better to delay it if you can. Also, the sheikh says the women. The women, they pray at home anyway. That's better. It's better. Don't prevent the women from the mosques, but their houses are better for them. So for the woman, it's better to pray at home. That is the preferred thing. Not to pray in the congregation, the masjid, but to pray at home. So for the woman who's praying at home, does she have to be worried about the congregation and putting burden upon them? No. So again, if she is able, then it's better for her to delay the Isha prayer. To pray it at a later time, if she is able. Again, if the tiredness is going to overcome you and you're going to fall asleep and end up missing it, that's obviously not correct. As long as you're able, then whatever time you're able to delay it till, it's better for the women to delay it too. And another example the Shaykh gives, if for example, there's a group of people and they all happen to agree to pray late. There's a group of them and they all happen to agree to pray late. Wherever that might be. Maybe it might be in some location somewhere. There's a group of brothers together. And they all decide together, we'll all stay up and we'll pray late. So there's no burden upon anyone. There's no, they've all agreed. And they can all do it. So good. For them, it's better to delay the prayer. Because the point was before, you can't put burden upon the people. That's not what you should do. So a person when he's by himself at home, there's no burden upon anyone else. As long as he can stay up later, then delay it. A woman by herself at home, there's no congregation or anything to worry about, so as long as she can delay, delay it. Or if there are a group of people, but they all agree that we can all do it, and we'll delay it, so they delay it. So in those types of instances, it is better to delay the Isha prayer. Also though, like we said, the rule must be remembered. فَإِنَّهُ لَا يَجُوزُ لَهُ التَّأْخِيرُ وَيَجُوزُ تَرْكَ الْفَاضِلِ إِلَى الْمَفْضُولِ أَحْيَانًا إِذَا تَرَتَّبَ عَلَى ذَلِكَ مَصْلَحَةً وَدَفْعُ مَضَرَّةً You have something which is preferred. And you have something which is not as good. You have something which is preferred, it's better. And you have something which is good, but not as good as that one. When is it permissible to leave the preferred thing and the better thing to the secondary thing, which is not as preferred or not as good? In the instance that we mentioned, where the removal of the harm is given precedence. So here, to delay the Isha is better and preferred. To pray it early in the beginning time is still good, of course, but not as preferred to delay it. 
But if there is a burden, there's going to be the removal of the harm of the burden, then in that instance it is permissible to leave the preferable thing and to do the secondary option. And this indicates, the Shaykh says, Shaykh Salih al-Fawzan, Hafizahullah, the gentleness, the kindness, the mercy of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam upon his people, وَأَنَّهُ لَا يَرْضَى بِالْمَشَقَّةِ And that the Prophet ﷺ, he was not pleased to have burden upon the people. وَقَدْ وَصَفَهُ اللَّهُ بِقَوْلِهِ عَزِيزٌ عَلَيْهِ مَا عَنِدْتُمْ And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described him that it is burdensome upon him, it is heavy upon him, that which is an issue for you. يَعَنِي يَعُزُّ عَلَيْهِ سَلَمِ يَشُقَّ عَلَيْهِ مَا يُتْعِبُكُمْ i.e. the things which are issues for you, those things which cause you harm, they are heavy upon the Prophet ﷺ. It is a burden upon him when to see that the believers are being burdened. This was the kindness and the generosity of the Prophet ﷺ. حَرِيسٌ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُؤْمِنِينَ رَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمِ He is keen and enthusiastic upon the believers that burden does not come upon them. وَرَؤُوفُ الرَّحِيمِ That he is the, the, the gentle and the kind. وَهَكَذَا يَنْبَغِي وَيَجِبُ عَلَى كُلِّ مَنْ وَلِيَ أَمْرًا مِنْ أُمُورِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ أَنْ يُرَاعِيَ أَحْوَالِ الْمُسْلِمِينَ أَيًّا كَانَتْ هذه الولاية The Shaykh says, therefore, it is obligatory upon everyone who has authority. Anyone and everyone who has authority, whatever authority it might be, like the imam of a masjid has authority over the congregation. The head of a household, the head of a household has authority over his household. Whatever type of authority it might be that you have, then it is obligatory that that person in authority looks after the people under his authority. The person who is in authority must look after the people under his authority. So an kanat wilayatan kubra aw wilaya sughra, whether this is some major type of authority like the leadership of a country, or it is minor authority like for example the father or the head of a household over his children etc. Or for example a teacher in a school. The teacher has authority over his students. So the teacher needs to look after the students and not to be burdensome upon them and not to tell them to get up and do detention or anything like that if it's out of its place. So a teacher looks after his students. Uh, and the one who is the Amir, for example, the Amir of a journey. You go out on a journey, you select an Amir, a leader for that journey. Then he should be kind and generous to the people under his authority whilst they are out. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim concerning this affair where the Prophet ﷺ said, Allahumma man waliya min amri ummati shay'an farafaqa bihim farfuq bihi wa man shakka alayhim fashukka alayhi In Sahih Muslim, the Prophet ﷺ made this supplication that, Oh Allah, whoever takes authority upon any issue within my nation, any believer finds himself in a position of authority over the others, and then he is gentle and kind to them in that authority he has over them. Then, O oh Allah, be gentle and kind to him. But any individual who is given authority over others, whatever type of authority it may be, and he puts burden upon the people under his authority, then place burden and hardship upon him. So this is the narration of Sahih Muslim concerning that affair. Uh, we'll conclude upon that narration for today. And then next time we'll begin with a new section of a hadith, which is concerning uh, firstly the issue of the heat, when the people are praying and the heat becomes intense, 
especially in those times and even in our times perhaps, then some of the rulings regarding that. Uh, also, with regards to the Fajr prayer, some more narrations are going to be mentioned. And then also about catching the prayer if you're late. If you're late for the prayer, when do you catch it? When have you caught that raka'ah, etc.? Those issues, inshallah, are also going to be discussed concerning the catching of the prayer. But we'll begin that next time, next lesson, inshallah ta'ala. So there's somebody asking about the yellowness of the sun. Because it was mentioned that the Asr prayer, it continues up until the yellowness of the sun. The yellowness of the sun, it's referring to when the sun is about to set. When the sun is in the sky, it's in the peak of the sky, it's in the middle of the day, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, 2 o'clock, on a nice sunny day. If you try to look at the sun, it's a very bright white color. It doesn't look yellow or orange in the middle of the sky. It looks bright and white. But when it gets down to setting, it's about to set. Then if you look in the horizon, now you can look directly at the sun. When it's at the setting point, you can look almost directly at the sun. But in the middle of the day, it's very difficult. You need your sunglasses or something, because otherwise it's too bright in your eyes, white and bright and shining. But when it's about to set, it becomes a very yellow, orange, hazy color. Like mixing into the, to the air. That haziness, that yellowness, that orangeness that occurs to the sun when it's about to set, just before it's going to set, that's what's being referred to the yellowness of the sun. When the sun becomes the yellowy color, i.e. It's, it's, it's at the point, it's, it's about to go down, it's about to set. And everybody knows that. When you look at the horizon on a day when you can see the sun, when it's setting, you can see how it's yellow and orange and red, and the rays of light are coming out, orange and yellow and red. That yellowness is being spoken about here. The actual times, Allahu Alam. I'm not sure what the actual times of those are from there up until the sun setting, etc. But it's not a very long time. We're not talking an hour or two hours or three hours. It's going to be a short time from when that sun starts to become yellow until when it sets. It's the final moments of the day. The final moments of the day when it becomes yellow and it's going to set. But the exact times, is it half an hour, is it 40 minutes? Allahu Alam. And uh, whether it differs in the seasons again, you, you might have to ask somebody who has uh, experience in those affairs. You're right, but the actual setting of the sun, does that time uh, make a difference? It might not necessarily. It's a proportion, obviously, I think. Because yeah. in, in the winter, maybe an hour or two between Asr and Maghrib. No, that's true, that's true. But the, the, the time when the sun sets, then that's like saying in the, in the summer, the sun takes longer to set. Oh, no, no, he's not asking that. He asked from the yellowness to the sunset. Oh, that's what I mean, the yellowness to the sunset. Uh, is it different to winter and summer? It may be, Allah, I don't know. I don't know about the affair, but uh, because then you will be saying that in the summer it takes longer for it to set. It stays yellow longer. Is that the case or not? Allah, I don't know about those things. No. So we'll leave it there then, inshallah. We'll carry on next time. <laughs>